So my name is Susan, and Mike and I have been here this weekend doing a worship uh, retreat, worship training conference, and we actually live in the suburbs of Atlanta. Have any of you guys been to Atlanta, been through Atlanta? Yeah, we're on the north side. Um, I'm a spiritual director, and I teach piano lessons one day a week, and I homeschool our nine-year-old son, who's with my parents this weekend while we're here. Um, if you're into the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram nine, so I'm going to be pretty laid back, <laughs> all right? Um, and we're just honored to be here. And you're in your third week of the Passion for Jesus series. And so today, I want to explore some things that block our passion, that keep us from intimacy with Christ. And our scripture today is going to be in Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 5. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 11. And I'm just reading in the English Standard Version, and it's on the screen for you guys, too. And when he, who is Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night long and nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate the scripture, that you would have all of your sons and daughters, there would be a burning in their hearts as you illuminate the scriptures, just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. God, will you open our minds to what you want to say to us in this ancient text, your word. And I pray, God, you would break the chains of shame and fear, and you would make us aware of anything that's keeping us from our passion for you, anything that's stopping us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, there's... The top 10 TED Talks, have you ever seen a TED Talk? It's like 10 to 15 minutes about certain subjects. There's the top 10 TED Talks of all time, and here they are. Number one is How Schools Kill Creativity by Ken Robinson. Have any of you seen that one? That's a great one. I've watched that one even before it was on my list. Just very cool about different types of learners. Um, a Amy Cootie, Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. Simon Sinek, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Number four, Brene Brown, The Power of Vulnerability, which is about shame and how to break shame. Uh, number five, Jill Bolt-Taylor, My Stroke of Insight. Uh, number six, Pravnov Mystery, The Thrilling Potential of Sixth Sense Technology. Tony Robbins, Why We Do What We Do. Dan Pink, The Puzzle of Motivation. Dan Gilbert, The Surprising Science of Happiness. And for my fellow introverts, Susan Cain, The Power of Introverts. 
Now, what I find interesting about this list is that I can tell people are hungry for the gospel by looking at this list. I can tell people are hungry for identity from looking at this list. You have introverts. You have different types of learners. I, I can tell people are hungry for strong leaders, right? Um, great leaders, how they inspire action, how schools kill creativity. And I can tell people want to figure out how to deal with their shame and their sin. Brene Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. And so this is encouraging to me. Now, uh, there's truth, I think, and I haven't watched all of them, but there's truth in there in these TED Talks. But sometimes they miss the creator, and they just go to the created thing, right? We miss Jesus, and we go to all of his principles. You might notice this mindfulness. Well, way before mindfulness, Jesus told us, hey, don't worry about tomorrow, just worry about today. Like all these practices, a lot of times they've just extracted Jesus from them, but they are the teachings of Jesus, right? And so I'm telling you today, the thing, the person that you need is Jesus. And the person that the world needs is Jesus. And looking at these TED Talks, we can see people are longing for the gospel. And you have the gospel. And you're doing Alpha, which is an amazing program. It's an awesome thing. And people are going to be able to do it online, which I've heard is great because people don't even have to get out of their house. They don't even have to be that, take that step of more vulnerability. They can do it from their house. So I would encourage you, invite people. It won't hurt anything to invite people to Alpha, right? And it could change someone. I, we did Alpha at our church in Atlanta, and I had a student, because I was teaching piano and voice at the time. She was an adult. She was a real estate agent, and we had a good relationship, and I was going to invite her to Alpha, but I just knew in the back of my mind, like I knew God wanted me to invite her to Alpha, but in the back of my mind, I thought, this is awkward, <laughs> right, because I'm at work, like how do I bring up, you're doing a great job singing, and do you want to come to Alpha? You know, like I wasn't sure, so I was praying, God, please help me, you know, invite this person to Alpha, I'm an introvert, and I invited her, and guess what? She came, and she came every week, and she said, this is amazing, I love it. And I was shocked, I mean, you, I was so shocked that someone actually said yes to my invitation. So I challenge you to do that, to see what happens if you invite people, right? They could not come, that would be okay. But um, take it from an introvert who was scared to death to invite somebody who actually came. And I still remember this, this was years ago. So I have three questions for you to ponder this morning. And the first one is simply this. What blocks your intimacy with Christ? What blocks your passion for Jesus? There's a rumor that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, that he loved practical jokes. So as a joke, he sent a telegram to 12 of his friends. Now these were 12 upstanding, great men of great virtue. They were high, I mean, they were good citizens of England. He sent them a telegram, and the telegram just said this, flee, all has been discovered. Flee, like run, everybody, we found out, flee, all has been discovered. And to his shock, within 24 hours, all 12 of them had left the country. There is something in each of our hearts that if we receive that telegram, 
flee, all has been discovered. I mean, it might take us a while. Like, what are they talking about? But we all have sin and shame in our story of things that have happened to us or things that we have done, and our instinct is to hide. Did you notice Peter, when he gets this big uh, boat, two boatfuls full of fish, he doesn't say, thanks, Jesus. He falls down in worship at Jesus' feet. I mean, this is a passion for Jesus. He falls down, and he's not saying, God, you're amazing. I love you. He says, leave me. I am a sinful man. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. And there's something in each of us when we meet the presence of God that that's our initial instinct is to say, leave, I can't handle it. I am a sinful person. And what's interesting is how Jesus responds to this. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in the sermon. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're not that bad, Peter. You know, like, please don't be so down on yourself. You are trying your best. Nor does he say, yeah, you're right. You're a terrible person. He just says, do not fear. I liked how Jonathan was talking about in his testimony, it was this peace of Christ that he experienced as a feeling in his body. And so I want to go back a minute because there's, there's sin and there's shame. And I want to thank Bill, your sound man, yesterday who gave me a great definition of shame. So the, the difference between sin and shame. So sin is when you do something wrong and you know it and there's guilt that comes, and then you repent, you confess your sins. If you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins. Your guilt is taken away, right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we can be completely free from all our sin. Sometimes shame hangs on to us, though. And shame, this is Bill, thank you, Bill, that is that we are the mistake. Not that we made a mistake, but that we are the mistake. Brene Brown, who was the number four about the power of vulnerability, she defines shame as this. She says, I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And we see that in Peter, right? He's like, I'm not worthy to connect to you, Jesus. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And I wonder this morning, how many of you have a voice of shame that already you have heard the voice of shame this morning, right? You shouldn't eat that donut, (laughs) right? You shouldn't be doing that. You You should be like this. You shouldn't be like this. Nobody here wants to talk to you. Look, they're all having community and nobody said hello to you. That is the voice of shame. And what shame does is it makes you hide. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. God said, don't eat this fruit. They ate it. Jesus, or God, looks for them. It was probably Jesus, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He looks for them, and he says, where are you? Why aren't they in the cool of the day, going for their walk in the cool of the day? They're hiding. And they said, we are naked and ashamed. And God says, who told you this? Whose voice is that? And I think this morning, the Lord is saying to you, who told you that? Who told you that nobody wants to talk to you? Who told you that you don't belong in this family of people? Who told you that? 
And I would encourage you to recognize the voice of shame because it, it is the voice of the enemy. Kurt Thompson says in the book, The Soul of Shame, it is the way that, number one way that the enemy tries to keep you from using your gifts because you'll be hiding in a corner. And we need you to use your gifts. We need you to be present. We need you to be a part of this community. We need you to be out in Oxford. People need you to invite them to Alpha. Right? There's just simple things. People, the barista or the person that um, works at Skyline Chili, which I want to go to today. I'm just going to make a public declaration. <laughs> somebody will take me if I say it in the sermon. Um, like somebody needs what you have. They need your encouragement. And if you feel shame, if you come up to someone and you can't even look them in the eye, then the enemy has robbed them of what they need. And I want you to know that everyone as a human being carries shame. Okay, so you might look at someone and say, they look perfect. They're carrying shame because we're human beings, right? There might be certain levels of freedom we experience. Hopefully, we'll experience freedom in greater measure this morning. But it's, the enemy's always there. It's like me telling you, hey, You'll never get tempted again once you become a Christian. That's a lie. You will be tempted to feel shame for your whole life. But are you aware of it? And will you fight against it? And I think one of the ways to fight against it is to have Jesus look at you and to say, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. Right? So shame is one of the things that blocks us from intimacy with God it blocks Adam and Eve from intimacy with God. It, was, you know, it could have blocked Peter if Jesus had said, okay, Peter, I will, I will leave. Jesus didn't pay attention to Peter. He's like, no, we're, I'm going to spend time with you no matter what you say or what you've done or what you're experiencing. We're in this together. And I think that's what shame, you need to know that there, you have friends, you have people in your life that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're experiencing, you're in it together. No one's leaving you because of something you've experienced. Now, some people might have. I'm not saying that that hasn't happened, but I'm saying in the church community, will you be a people that loves everyone and that in their shame, you will love them back to freedom? I think you can do it. I think that's your commissioning. I'm going to just say it. <laughs> All right, so there's shame that keeps us from the passion for Jesus. There's also this lack of astonishment. Did you notice in this verse, it says they were astonished. They were astonished. They were astonished. Even James and John were astonished. Peter was astonished. All these people are very astonished because they had worked all night long, and they're fishermen, and they had caught nothing. And Jesus says, ah, just go out, put your net out. And they're bringing in enough fish for two boats. All right, this is their livelihood. It's like when you, in pandemic times, you might have experienced this, where all your source of income has dried up, right? It's a bad fishing night for Peter. Um, and the Lord just blesses you beyond your imagination. This has happened to Mike and I when a lot of our traveling gigs were canceled because of COVID, and the number of people that just gave us money, like 
Somebody from out of state that Mike had stayed with was like, God told me to give you this money, and it was a significant amount. I mean, and that was not one way. That was a million different ways of just how God provided. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel like I don't have enough, and this year has been a hard year economically for so many people, um, I, will, I think God is wanting you to know that your source of provision is from him. And it's always been from him. Somebody else might write you the check, right? Your job might write you the check, but ultimately it's from him. And even when the check is gone, God will provide for you. So sometimes there's this lack of astonishment of Christ. Like we know Christ. Yeah, Christ, he, all those fish came in the boat. That's awesome. That's who Christ is. Like we've lived enough time with Christ. We've experienced Christ so many times. He's been so kind. We just think of it as a normal everyday thing. We forget how amazing he is. And we lose some of the passion. This happens in any long-term relationship, right? If you've been in a relation and been married for 20 years, 50 years, it feels different than when you first started dating. And so there are things you can do to rekindle that passion. There are things you that can do that will remind you of how astonishing Jesus is. <clears throat> and then the next thing I think that keeps us from intimacy is busyness. This one kind of hurts a little bit. Um, because they said, Peter said, Master, we have worked all night and took nothing. We've worked all night. He could have easily said, I have washed my nets in the the verses before it, he, they were washing their nets. Jesus borrowed the boat to speak to the people on the shore. He could have said, I've worked all night. I am tired. I am not going fishing again. He would have missed this moment. And you and I, we can miss moments because we're so busy. And Jesus says, I invite you to keep doing that thing a little bit longer. And you're tired of doing that thing. You've been disappointed doing that thing. You've experienced nothing, no fruit doing that thing. And Jesus says, I want you to do it. And Peter could have said no, and you can say no. But what, what happens if the catch is just right there? So I think there's just this busyness. You're working hard all night. You could miss, you can miss Jesus if your schedule is so packed full of other things. You can miss him. And then I think disappointment keeps us from passion for Christ because they had caught nothing. And I think this year we have faced, you have faced some disappointment, whether it's in community, whether it's in your career, wherever it is, like there's just disappointment. There's dreams, there's hopes, there's things that you thought God would do that are not happening. And what do you do with that disappointment? It's so easy to lose passion for Jesus when you've been disappointed. And the fact of the matter is, is if you live long enough, you will be disappointed. We live in a fallen world. I wish I could say everything's going to be amazing and everything will be amazing when Jesus comes back, the new earth, heaven and the new earth. So there is that. But in this fallen world... There are disappointments, and what do you do with them is the key. Do you go to Jesus? Do you let him comfort you? Do you let him speak identity over you, or do you just shut him out? 
I've seen people do both in my life. And I just want to encourage you to go to Jesus. All right, do not go to the blog post of other people that are disappointed in Jesus. Okay, please do not do that. Go to someone that has lived through the disappointment and is on the other side. All right, I see so many of my friends, so many people that I feel like I've poured my life into that have just, something hard's happened, something hard in their marriage, something in their work, and they've just been like, you know, they've found a group of people that are in that, that place in, not even in community, I'm not talking about in community, like Celebrate Recovery or things that you're actually face-to-face with people. I'm talking about people in the blogosphere, that you have no idea what their story really is, right? And they have just caught on to that person, and that person has led them away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. Oh, that, one's, that one's really sad, but we're almost done. We have one more block to intimacy, and that's disobedience. If Peter had not gone back out to get fish, those fish would not have jumped into the boat, right? They had to obey the Lord's command. And here's what I love about Peter. Peter says in verse um, 4, 5, he says, Master, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Right? And sometimes you can say to Jesus, hey, look, I don't think this is going to work. But at your word, I will do it. Jesus said, go out into the deep. I think you could spend some time thinking about that as well. Where is Jesus asking you to go out into the deep, into the over-your-head places that you can't manage on your own? So just some of those blocks to intimacy. I wonder which ones you are experiencing this morning. Shame, lack of astonishment, it's become familiar, busyness, disappointment, or disobedience. Now, the good news is, is that Jesus overcomes all of these things. So my second question, my first question was what keeps, what blocks your intimacy with Christ? My second question is, how does Jesus respond to your shame? Now, Mike and I, we struggled with infertility for seven years, and we were in a young church that was filled with Women popping out babies, all right? So, like, every Sunday was like, guess who's pregnant? You know, it would be like, guess who's not pregnant? Um, it was just hard. It was, a, it was a source of shame, right? Because it's like this is something that is so easy to so many people, but not easy to us. Um, but how Jesus responded to that, I can say now, I don't know if I would have chosen a different story. I don't know if I would have said, yeah, let's go back and do it again. It would be easy to have children. Because what God did in the source of that shame is we were at a conference, a women's conference in Chicago. Somebody had a word for women that wanted to have babies. I almost didn't come forward because it was kind of a specific word of like this thing and this thing, and I didn't know. And my friends were like, go, go forward. And I had grown up in a church, I'm a preacher's kid, and we prayed for people, but we never laid hands and prayed for people. And I kind of viewed prophecy as blessed thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? Like, just encouragement, like, I see this in you, and you're like, yeah, you know me. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. Well, the stranger prayed for me, and she said, this is hard for you because you want to homeschool. Now, nobody knew that in the room. I hadn't talked about that. And this stranger said this to me. 
I'm crying. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by God. And she listed several things, you know, like reading her mail. And I'm ch- I was changed from that encounter where when I pray for people, I expect God's going to do something. And, you know, these impressions I always had about things, I was like, maybe that's God. Like, maybe that's not my woman's intuition. Maybe it's actually God. You know, it just, it shifted things, but it was a space of shame that Jesus looked at me. He didn't leave. He didn't change it immediately. It took us another few years to have a baby. But something was birthed in me, right? And I just don't know if it would have had to take something like a longing for a child for me to go forward in a conference in a word. You know, like, I don't think I would have gone forward if it was like, come forward if you'd like some encouragement or something. It had to be a desperation. Um, There's just, there was a sense of community that happened. There was somebody that prayed for me every Sunday. She's like, I'm praying for you every Sunday till you have a baby. It was just this opening up in our shame. We told our story and we were healed from a lot of that shame. And we have a nine-year-old son, Ezekiel, uh, Zeke, God strengthens, you know. And so it's just this lovely way that God responds to shame. And I I think there's three parts to Jesus' response to shame with Peter. He looks at Peter and he says, what? Do not be afraid. Because when we see our sin, when we see our shame, when we're we're worried, what is God going to do to us? There's a fear that rises up. And Jesus comforts. And he says, don't be afraid. Peter, don't be afraid. So do you need comfort this morning? Do you need to see Jesus looking at you saying, don't be afraid? Do not be afraid. And then he speaks identity over him. He says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. Don't be afraid. I have a job for you. Um, Right? So he speaks identity, and then he speaks commissioning. He's like, this is your job. This is what we're going to do. And what I love about Peter and Jesus is that Jesus works with Peter his whole life, right? Peter one day says, you're the son of God. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. People haven't revealed this to you. God's revealed this to you. The next scripture in the Bible Jesus says, I'm going to have to go die, you know, and die for everyone, rise back from the dead. Peter says, oh, no, not you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All right, so like Peter, you know, revealed from God, saying things from Satan. Like, but Jesus never gave up on him, right? And even when he denied him in front of that fire, and he says, I never knew Jesus. He did it three times before Jesus was on the cross when he was um, kind of listening in to whatever was going on with Jesus when he was arrested. Peter's like, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times. After the resurrection, Jesus sets the stage. They're out fishing again. He starts a fire. Okay, this is exactly where Peter denied Christ, was around a fire. Jesus starts a fire. He cooks some breakfast. He cooks some fish. And when Peter comes back, he asks him three times, do you love me? And he just recommissions him, feed my sheep, right? Some of you need to be recommissioned. And so when you start to feel that moment of shame, because I can guarantee you when Peter looks at that fire, 
He's experiencing the same feelings, the same warmth, the same kind of things. It's a reminder, a visceral reminder of what he did. And he wept bitterly. I mean, he was just so sorry, right? And Jesus, he doesn't even mention the denial. He, does, he just says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And this is what Jesus does. He comforts and he speaks identity and he commissions. So some of you need to experience that this morning. Whatever sin, whatever shame, you need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, do not be afraid. This is who you are. I have a job for you. How does Jesus respond to your shame? It's in love. And then my last question is simply this. Are you astonished by Jesus? Now, our family took a road trip. We took advantage of COVID times, um, cheap, cheap travel. Um, and we had COVID in the summer, so we felt like we were pretty immune to it. So in the fall, we went to the, we drove to the Grand Canyon from our house, you know, in Atlanta. So we stopped at several places on the way in Texas, and it was just a super fun trip. Um, and then we, we got to the Grand Canyon. Now, here's the thing about the Grand Canyon. The canyon is a hole in the ground. I mean, that's the simple version of what a canyon is. But normally, when we go places, like if you go to the Great Smoky Mountains, like when you're driving, you start to see the mountains. You know, you're like, here they come, here are the mountains. Or um, this is kind of the experience I have going to the beach as well. But we're driving to the Grand Canyon, and it's just trees. You know, it's like this road goes to the Grand Canyon. All right, here's the entrance to the Grand Canyon which we found out, Deke is in fourth grade, there is a national park program that if you're in fourth grade, you get into all the national parks for free for you and your family. So we go up to the gate, and they're like, any military, retired military? We're like, no. Um, what's something else? Anybody in fourth grade? We're like, what? Yes, fourth grade. Like, it's free. We're like, Zeke, yay. We picked the perfect time. I guess we're cheapskates. We're like, Grand Canyon for free. Thanks, Zeke. Um, so it's a very cool thing. But we're still, we're parking. We see nothing. We see trees. So we, we see the little walkway. We go to, you know, the lookout. I can't remember what it's called. But um, we go there. We go there. We see the little steps. And we walk out. And we were in awe. Like, it's a, haven't you seen the Grand Canyon? Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. It's like a quiet, even though there's people there and they're taking pictures and they're standing a little too close to the rail, you're like, should you be doing that? You know, I mean, there's the, that era. But there's this, this awe that comes over you. You're like, this is amazing. This is like, I've seen pictures, but they do no justice to the Grand Canyon. Um. And it was almost like you hear about the fear of the Lord. Like, that's what it felt like. Because it's like, don't get too close to the edge. But I wasn't afraid of anything happening to me. But I was just like, this is big and magnificent. I mean, it was astonishment. Mike and Zeke woke up early one morning and went to the sunrise. I slept late there. And they said it was like, like a worship service, right? I mean, it was, everybody's like, wow, taking pictures. Um, and that's how it is with God. Like, there is just this awe of, like, God is so much bigger than us, and he is so kind, and he's so loving, and he's, he created everything we see. You know, like the Grand Canyon, you're like, God made this. 
He made these little birds that are chirping. I mean, when you stop and you think about, you know, he made all the plants. Just this is God. This is who God is. And he has called you by name. To think about that. To sit and to really be astonished by Jesus. And James Stewart, who is a Scottish theologian, he wrote this about Jesus. He said, He was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men. Yet he spoke of coming in the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that children loved to play with him. And the little ones nestled in his arms. His presence at the innocent gaiety of a village wedding was like the presence of sunshine. No one was half so compassionate to sinners, yet no one ever spoke such red-hot, scorching words about sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His whole life was love, yet on one occasion he demanded of the Pharisees how they ever expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions, yet for sheer stark realism he has all of our stark realists soundly beaten. He was a servant of all, washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple and hucksters and money changers fell over one another to get away from the mad rush and the fire they saw blazing in his eyes. He saved others, yet the last himself he did not save. There is nothing in history like the union of contrast which confronts us in the Gospels. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of divine personality. Are you astonished by Jesus? And I think that's an invitation for us to spend time in worship and to think about Jesus and to think about not only what he's done in your life, also in the Gospels, and just have asked for a fresh revelation.